Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Father's Day is Sunday, so this week we're hearing from some famous Hollywood fathers. Yesterday we heard from George Stevens Jr. about his father, George Stevens. Today we hear from Katherine Weiler about her father, William Weiler. From his World War II documentary, The Memphis Belle, to his coming home masterpiece, The Best Years of Our Lives. Eric Nelson. Director and... Catherine Weiler. Producer on The Cold Blue, new documentary about the Memphis Belle that your father made. Uh, the Memphis Belle was a film, a documentary that he made in 1943. Uh, it was the story of the 25th mission of a B-17. And at the time that he filmed it, the, all those guys flying in B-17s were statistically dead on their 16th mission. Wow. So for the first time, the... Air Force said, if you could get out of combat, if you could survive 25 missions, you could get out of combat if you wanted to, even though you weren't wounded. And this was the first plane to do that. And so this is the story of that 25th mission. Wow. And by Weiler, 25, you're, you're, you're statistically dead a couple times over, or one and a half times over by that point. True. And uh, he, William Weiler, in order to film this, went up on bombing missions with three cameramen risking mm-hmm. his life. And one of the cameramen died in the making of the film. He brought back 15 hours of footage, cut a 43-minute classic American documentary out of it, and the remaining 14 and a half hours of footage has been sitting in the National Archives for 75 years until I got a hold of it. Yeah, so how did you actually think to do that? Because obviously a lot of us have seen and loved uh, Memphis Belle. Um, it's, it's, a, you know, it's one of the great docs uh, in movie history. But um, when did you yourself get on board as directing? Well, my, my uh, partner, Paul Allen, Microsoft billionaire Paul Allen. The Paul Allen. A, the Paul Allen has a passion for World War II aviation. And he doesn't just restore airplanes. He restores them and gets them to fly again. It's sort of unprecedented. So the metaphor for me was to restore the footage and get it to fly again in the, yeah. in the, in the, in, by creating a new film uh, that's a feature film that uses some material that was in the Memphis Bell, but mostly material that wasn't in the Memphis Bell in widescreen splendor with a, uh, a recreated soundtrack because they didn't have microphones up there yeah. by the sound designer, the Black Panther. So nice. it's an immersive, immersive time machine to the front lines in the most harrowing period of World War II. That's awesome. And yeah. I'm so thrilled at that. This brings my father's footage that he risked his life for uh, back onto a big screen today to show people today what it was like to fly in those planes. Absolutely. And because of the restoration, you know, one of the things, if you know World War II or old movies, it's in a three by four ratio, like right. an old TV set ratio. Yeah. But because more, a little more squarish. This is widescreen and, and without any loss in quality because of the restoration pro- 
process in the way we did it, it's widescreen in sharp clarity and incredible color. It hasn't looked this good since the 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 lab in, in England in 1943 when it came off out of the cameras. Wow. So you went back to those original prints. Of, the, of the film. Wow. And so, yeah. So even if you are a fan of Memphis Belle, I mean, let's see it in widescreen. This well, is going to be great. But we also restored the Memphis Belle, her dad's film, which had fallen into great disrepair. Her prints had faded, and it was such a fraught production process that some of the film had been damaged in that lab in London, mm-hmm. and a lot of things had kind of had gone askew in over the last 75 years. So we recut that film using the raw footage. So we didn't just restore it. We reconstructed it over the existing soundtrack. So the Memphis Bell, the classic documentary, has never looked better ever. And awesome. I, I'm, it, that's absolutely true. It's, it's not changed at all. But the change is that it's clean and uh fact that it's in 4K digital now has brought out detail that you could never see before. My father would be so thrilled. <laughs> I'm sure he would be. And, and you've mentioned As am a, I. Yeah, absolutely. You've mentioned it several times, um, just that that your father risked his life to do it, as well as, I mean, there was that great docuseries, Five Came Back. It wasn't just your father. It was uh, Frank Capra, George Stevens, um, John Houston, John Ford, John Ford, John Ford and, and William Wyler. And William Wyler, wow. And, and uh, William Wyler lost his hearing permanently, yeah. permanently, not during the production of the Memphis Bell, but the next year when he flew a B-25 and, and you know, it, it, it permanently lost wow. his hearing. The other documentary he made called Thunderbolt. You, you need to restore Nick, that next. Yeah, yeah. I know. It's, in my, it's, on my, it's on my to-do list. But Steven Spielberg said in Five Came Back about the Memphis Bell, it's one of the most stunning things I've ever seen. Yeah. And Spielberg saw the old degraded prints. Mm-hmm. So we've given him a copy, and I think he's going to be quite impressed when he sees. It's like cleaning a, a filthy window. It, yeah. it, it, it was brown. It looked it just degraded. And now it, all the colors restored. You're seeing things. We saw found one shot of a flak damage nose of a B-17 that was in the Memphis Bell. Mm-hmm. But when we did the restoration, we realized what the cameraman really was shooting was the entire interior of the plexiglass nose was sprayed with blood. The flak shell had vaporized the bombardier. And you didn't see that in the Memphis Bell, but you see it now. And it's yeah. something that I'm sure they wouldn't have allowed past the censors in World yeah. War II. So, again, in some ways you're seeing the Memphis Bell the way her, uh, Catherine's father really intended it in much better quality because there were yeah. camera, there was dirt on the film. They had these little 16-millimeter cameras, and the footage got scratched in London. There were these blue scratches oh, through yeah. everything, and they couldn't reshoot. They couldn't go back on bombing missions. So those scratches have been a part of the Memphis Bell forever, and they've been digitally removed now. That's why you called it the cold blue. It's in honor of the blue scratches, film. right? No. Yeah, but, <laughs> but both projects feed. One is a, one is yeah. a, a impressionistic art film mm-hmm. about about combat and what that was like, yeah. and the other is an absolutely scrupulous restoration of the original 1943 film. And they both exist in their own universe, and yeah. it's going to be very hard to achieve the stature of of such a perfect piece of work as the Memphis Bell. But wow. it's worth the effort. Wow. Um, you mentioned that. Uh, Physically, you know, the hearing loss during that mission. But also I almost internally, I noticed the a drastic change in 
the the films that those directors put out after coming back you know like um george stevens comes back and has that great scene in giant when angel is you know killed in action or your dad i mean he's making withering heights before the war and then we start seeing mrs miniver during and then man best years of our lives afterwards talk about how um how you think his whole mindset was even changed in the films he made after and and this experience enabled him to make a best years well, sure, there's there's no question that the war had a huge effect on him and on his uh, his later work. Certainly, he always said, as far as uh, Best Years was concerned, that uh, it was one film he didn't have to do any research for because he knew what it was like to come back from the war and to come back damaged after the war. Uh, and I think also that the experience of the war, which he could have easily... Uh, he had to really fight to get into the Air Force because he was 40 and he had uh, two children. So He could have easily dodged it and got he, out of it. That's yeah. right. So he tried hard to get in. In fact, he finally found a general uh, who he convinced would be really smart to have a guy with a camera following him <laughs> around. That's how he got in. Um, but I think that the experience made him rather pacifist. Uh, and films like Friendly Persuasion and The Big Country, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the futility of violence, those definitely came out of his war experiences. Wow. Wow. Do you have formative memories, you know, growing up as he's making, you know, Roman Holiday and Ben-Hur and Funny Girl? I mean, are you... Ha- how conscious in Roman Holiday. Are, are you really? Me? Yes. Oh, it's Audrey like goes, The Fountain or something? That's right. Yes. Audrey goes Explain in to it. get her haircut, and Greg Peck doesn't have a camera, and uh, Eddie Albert isn't there. There's a, a little group of schoolgirls. My sister gets the close-up as he tries to take the camera, and I'm in the rear calling the teacher. Hey, I had three words, hey, Miss Weber. Wow. That's the last of my screen attempts. They didn't put you in any of the other ones? <laughs> you weren't on a, in the chariot race or anything? <laughs> no, <that laughs> what, do you remember, what, what do you remember from him during his Ben-Hur time? You were in Italy there for a year, weren't you? Uh, I was I was only there because I was in school, so I was only oh. there in the summer. Okay. But I remember that he was having a very fine time. When, In fact, when he took that job, it was because he was so excited about the chariot race. Then when the producer, Sam Zimbalist, told him, no, no, you don't have time for that. That's a second unit. Oh, he was very disappointed. <laughs> he did it that we wanted to do the project for the chariot race. Something I didn't know that you know you did is he's the guy who cast and developed Sound of Music. He put Julie Andrews really? in the Sound of Music. Before Robert Wise uh, took and over? And Wise took it over. You know, that was one of those projects he could have had and developed it and gave it the zap it needed. Do you know why he he passed on I do, I do, because uh, my mother said it was keeping him up at night, uh, and he finally said he just couldn't make a movie about those nice Nazis. After yeah, but there, we're back to the effect. We're back of it. to the effect of that's it. Right. Abs- that's right. No, that's right. absolutely true. Well, he got his another chance at a musical with Funny Girl. Um, memories of of him and they worked together great too. Yeah. You know, oh, they absolutely. were they both. You know, he could handle Betty Davis and Barbara Streisand. I mean, come on, and Catherine I is a, just going, a rebellious I, teenager. <laughs> that was the hardest <laughs> one of all. <laughs> but I remember going on the set of uh, Funny Girl and seeing my father and Barbara holding hands. And, in fact, there was a lot of press at the time about how difficult and what a hard time they were having, which was totally untrue. And your eyes are telling you different. You're yeah. like, these guys, she, they're getting she, along. She was definitely, yeah. uh, he was definitely a father figure for her. Oh, and, and, she speaks, and Omar as well, Sharif. 
Well, uh, <laughs> different story. That was a different story. <laughs> what do you mean? But what he, do you mean? But I mean, I, he didn't have any trouble oh, right. with Omar. Right. But uh, that wasn't, you know. I that worked was, with Omar yeah. Sharif. Did I have you? to tell you my Omar Sharif story. Yeah, I actually did. A, so there's the one degree of separation there. You there. Go. And that's the, the go last. Go for it, man. We're last, talking movies. Let, we can go. No, I, I did a <laughs> terrible, uh, wrote a terrible live, the pyramids live from London. Remember the great Geraldo in the uh, vault live yeah, special yeah, yeah, yeah. scare? Yeah. Well, this was a follow-up and Omar Sharif was the host. Oh, wow. In his tuxedo. And we filmed actually at this place that was this amazing estate. And a couple of years ago, I was watching Downton Abbey. And I said, <laughs> oh my God, that's where we were. We spent a week at, at uh, Downton Abbey mm-hmm. in that library filming. Yeah. But I remember uh, Omar was totally soul of perfection until about 10 minutes before we rolled live. <gasps> and he had a complete, utter meltdown, oh, no. shrieking at, at the director, just absolutely lost his oh, uh, no. lost his uh, S word. Oh, my and God. then the, the red light went on and he hit every mark and could wow. not have been more professional. But – it just that you know it just kind of got to him after a while. He needed Fanny all, Bryce to keep him in line. It was all there, due to the ramshackle production, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. But when he was cool, and then when we're rolling, he's just having a cigarette between takes. You know, millions of people are watching this. You know, it was un- not unlike Peter O'Toole in yeah. uh, My Favorite Year when he realized, mm-hmm. "You mean live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. people, I'm just speaking. Yeah, people, yeah, yeah. He had that <laughs> nice pool. He, he had that. He had that uh, Peter O'Toole moment. But so that's my Omar Sharif story. Wow. Well. well that- that reminds me that I just saw the new Gilda Radner doc, uh, and you know, when it was live, boy, she was on. It's a wonderful documentary. That's their comfort zone almost. They see the light go on, and then whatever meltdown was happening, they just settle in. I guess. Well, they're pros. They're pros. You know, those are the, that's a kind of a, and it's it's old school Hollywood yeah. that William Wyler certainly knew. I mean, it's a whole different ecosystem yeah. there, and you know, with a cold blue. That's it was always looking over my shoulders. I'm grappling, making some of the same editing choices. How can I construct a sequence? There was one sequence in <laughs> no my pressure. film. <laughs> well, there was one sequence. I, try, I didn't watch the Memphis Belle for a year prior and during my film. I just didn't oh, want it in my head. You didn't yeah. want yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. to watch. Part of the right. fun was to take footage that was shot by cinematographers mm-hmm. but with a modern-day eye to what's significant. Right. To me, seeing a contrail, a single take of a contrail for 30 seconds with with – 50 airplanes, let me see it for 30 seconds. I don't need to cut. Right. And But when we did the takeoff sequence, um, I was looking at all this dog's breakfast of planes in different – I just could not figure out how to make it work. So I finally said, okay, let's go back and watch the Memphis Bell because I can't cut this. Yeah. So we went back and it's like, oh, it goes like – it was like – Oh, I see. It was that Mozart Soliari moment where you see, you know, oh, that's how it goes together. So, unfortunately, <laughs> poor Solieri. Yeah, poor Solieri. And I'm this definite Solieri in it. But that was the only time when I had to go back to the original to, to, um, but he did pick. But mo- I think my father would be very happy with the cold blue. I uh-huh. mean, that's what he called me out of the blue to tell me he's making this movie using my father's footage. And I thought, well, that's nice that the footage will have a new life. Mm-hmm. But I had no idea it was going to be such a great film as The Cold Blue yeah. is. It was a bit presumptuous to sort of call Catherine Weiler saying, you know, we've because it's in the public domain, you go ahead, right, you have at yeah. it. You know, anyone yeah, but I'm it. glad you did. That's a nice no, there's, touch. There's a difference between <laughs> could do something and should do something. Right. And I've learned that and since then, you know, Catherine, from the moment, you know, when we started talking about the restoration of the Memphis Bell, mm-hmm. they had to be done together 
because it has to be a level playing field. It wouldn't mm-hmm. have been fair for me to restore, quote, my movie and then have these degraded copies of The Memphis Bell where right. people would say wouldn't watch it just because it didn't look good. Yeah. So now both films exist, and if people want to compare the two or say, Christ, why would anyone make a remake a perfect film? What was this presumptuous yeah. director doing now? Fine with me. It's a level playing field. Yeah, absolutely. Talk about... Um you mentioned the Hollywood, and they, they were pros. That's the old Hollywood. But it's also an old, the, the greatest generation idea of these these famous people. I mean, even the actors, Jimmy Stewart would be doing bomber missions. Yeah, he flew. We yeah, don't have, I mean, now it's like less than 1% of the country goes and fights, and you definitely wouldn't see these celebrities go off. I can't imagine the big but Hollywood star. We would, if, right, if we had the right, you know, if we like had an, an enemy as World durable III, yeah. as the Nazis yeah, in a different maybe. time, even in today's yeah. fractured culture. It's hard to imagine yeah. a, an enemy as like a total as, war, kind a of a total deal, yeah. war, and in an attack. But I, it, it, it just I was so. a different yeah. time. There was a time, you know. I, I think the United States. It's going to be a while, but we'll hopefully yeah. kind of reconvene as a as a as yeah. a as a nation soon and take stock of everything. I hope so. But I guess what I'm getting at is um, not so much whether we would do it today, but just talk about those. That those five came back guys and how how courageous that was that they went and like you're saying like your dad didn't have to go he oh, could have easily just Reagan and John Wayne didn't they, yeah, they sent right. out the war at Fort Hal Roach right. neither of them did right Weiler but, those guys yeah. and Capra sat he didn't go overseas not because he wasn't courageous right but it was uh, no one was more upfront than William Weiler because yeah. when he was flying it was a one in four chance you know you'd go down wow so he that's crazy. Houston and Ford and Stevens, no offense, yeah. weren't in weren't okay. in the middle of it. This guy against the regs got in a plane and flew five bomber missions. Cronkite God. flew one. Wow! Um, and think of all the great movies we would have lost. No, absolutely. Oh. Well, my mother said that it was really part of it was just his character. Yeah. That uh, he, you know, this was the big thing that was going on, and yeah. he didn't want to miss it. Plus the fact that he. You know, was born and raised in Europe and was Jewish, yeah. and uh, you, think, you know, he you wanted to be part he, of it. If he had been shot down and survived, a Oscar-winning Jewish director, what would have happened to Weiler, <sighs> who was also not legitimately, we could argue, not really in uniform, even though he had a commission? Oh my God! So I wouldn't I don't even want to think about it. And we interviewed nine guys in our movie, all of whom be seventeens. Of the nine guys, five of them were shot down. Five of them. <sighs> One of them was shot down in his very first mission, and he flew got back wow. and flew 23 more missions. Mm. So the odds, and this was in 44, 45, where the odds were much better. 43, it was a, well, more guys died in the 8th Air yeah. Force than died in the U.S. Marines in World War yeah. II. Yeah. Isn't that astounding? You just, it's crazy to think. And the thing, you don't realize it. And the point we try to make in our film is these guys were flying in unpressurized airplanes that got down to 60 below zero at altitudes equivalent to Mount Everest. And they were in those altitudes for three to four hours. So imagine standing at the summit of Mount Everest for three to four hours and doing it 22 times to 35 (laughs) times over the course of three or four months with 40,000 German 88-millimeter guns firing shells six miles straight up that could do pinpoint. And if you're shot down, the odds of you being captured by – you were lucky if you were captured yeah. by the German army. If you were unfortunate and landed with the civilians, they'd pitchfork you to death, wow. as one veteran tells us in our film. You you kind of forget 
that's a level of stakes, man. <laughs> yeah, and this so is fathom- and you're 19 years old, and your yeah. pilot is 23 years yeah. old, and you've got 10 swinging dicks in the plane who've trained together. Who you know, it's an it's a crucible that you cannot conceive of. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Did um after that whole experience, did your did your father stay close and in touch with the those other the five came back guys? Were did did they have a bond going forward? I'm not sure they had a bond because of that. Right. You know, he was, I guess because a lot of people went and fought. Yeah. He, he was friends with some and, and not with others. And yeah. I don't think that. He was in Liberty Films with Capra and Stevens, her business yeah. partners. That's right. They? They so after right. founded it right away. Right. Best and it didn't last life, very long. Right? Best years of our lives yeah. and It's a Wonderful Life were answer records. Yeah. Once a Wonderful Life yeah. was scratching that same mm. kind of America, Absolutely. reconnecting with itself. Mm-hmm. And so was the best years of our lives. Speaking of which, was the. Was Capra giving George Bailey the hearing loss? Was that a nod to your dad, you think? Was it, remember how he loses his hearing in one ear, George Bailey? I'm curious if that was inspired by the hearing loss. By I don't know. I'm just riffing, but who knows? That's, that's really interesting. Who knows? I hadn't thought about it. <laughs> Never yeah. thought about it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I just we can't thank we can't thank those guys and your, especially your dad. I mean, like like you're saying, I mean, he really put himself out there, unlike any any of those. Well, he brought back the goods, you know, yeah. and the thing that I've always imagined and being able to work. With, with Catherine is what he would have thought of my film because mm-hmm. he never saw it like this. Right. You know, at one point, Catherine and I had a friendly argument. I wanted to take the Memphis Bell and put it in 16 by 9 widescreen. Mm-hmm. And Catherine said, no, it's going to stay in the aspect ratio because that's right. the way it was. Right. I still don't think you're right. But, <laughs> and I still know I'm right. Yeah, because I, <laughs> We're I, not going to solve it in this but room, I guys. Argued, <laughs> well, but I argued saying that what would your dad think? You know, right. it was is as a you know as a right. reaching the mass audience, he right. would want it on the best available delivery system. Yeah. But the good news, it doesn't matter because the cold blue isn't 16 by right. 9. And he recorded sound after the fact in Los Angeles and overdubbed it. So did I. My guy came off the Black Panther, and we brought a Lucasfilm Skywalker sound team to do it. Weiler you might have heard with, of those movies. Weiler worked with the best guys in Hollywood. And when I listened to the Memphis Bell, I'm thinking, you know, dude, you, yeah. you got it handled. You know, <laughs> a, you know I, I, there's no, no flies on that movie on any technical level, let alone the way, except the footage doesn't look very good. And it never looked very good because it yeah. went from negative to 16 millimeter, then was blown up to 35. Yeah. The moment the film was released, it started to deteriorate. Yeah. And thank God in the National Archives, somebody just put the, the work reels in a box in, you know, the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark storage <laughs> area. And it Top was, men. Yeah. Put it away. <laughs> put it away. And it just was hiding in plain sight. It wasn't discovered. It was always there in their card catalog. Yeah. It just nobody thought to right. think, you know, there we, we had to just do something with that. It should be in a museum. Well, or or do something, you know come up with a way that honors everybody, including William Wyler and yeah. the 28,000 men of the 8th Air Force who died so we can have this conversation today, not in German. Yeah, yeah, honestly. <laughs> we like, you know, I, I, of course, grossly and modestly think now that we have a trilogy here. You know, we've got the Memphis Bell, mm-hmm. which is now restored and on mm-hmm. its legs. We have the Cold Blue, which sort of shows forensically mm-hmm. what Wyler was doing up mm-hmm. there and really showcases his material. And mm-hmm. then you have this utter masterpiece, best year of our lives that deals with the consequences. So there is now a, yeah. a official trilogy. And even if it was Memphis Bell, leave my film out of it. 
yeah. best year of our lives. That's one hell of a double bill. It's a worthy cause, honestly. I think the best years of our lives is one of the greatest movies ever made. Sure. I, I want I want younger generations to sit and watch. They they would be kept. They'd be like, "What's best years of our lives, dude?" <laughs> when you know, they sit I and see it, they are going to be blown away. It was on some ten best lists. Mm-hmm. When people were coming home from mm-hmm. Iraq, you know, it it, it really ahead of its time. Look, I, Iraq veterans are relating to this movie that was made in '46. How yeah. crazy is that? Right. I mean, yeah, we got it with the coming homes and born on the Fourth of Julys and deer hunters like decades after. But your dad was doing this right after World War II. That's insane. And that's not in what two hours and forty minutes. And he races it into theaters to qualify for the Oscars. And yeah. he's thinking, really, yeah. no one's going to want to see this yeah. thing. Goldwyn was like, no, you know. Put it out. Yeah. You know, they kind of had a hunch. It, it had a – he just made it. And that last scene, you know, in the that flashback sequence, yeah. you know, when they, they just improvised that scene. Yeah. They didn't have it solved. They didn't know how do I end it? How do we finish off this guy's story? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. they go to the graveyard and that's where they sort of said, okay – and they started filming it, and then he had the idea of dubbing in the audio, probably yeah. because of the Memphis Bell. He was aware of, you know, he knew what he could do yeah. orally, sure. and, and he sort of improvises the ending of the film. Wow. Yeah, it's just, uh, Tharby Giants. And they were right to rush it out, because it, it won. It beat yeah. it beat Capra's Wonderful Life. Um, do you have a favorite scene in that? To me, it's when, it's, to me, it's when Frederick March comes home and... and the wife well, Mer- yes. just stiffens up and you see her from behind. And and I, that is my favorite scene. And it, it, my father talks about it in the documentary that I made about, about him, um, which I'll get for you if you haven't seen Sure, it. I would love to. Uh, he said that, that, or maybe it was my mother who talked about it, that she went to New York to meet him at some point during the war when she hadn't seen him for quite a long mm-hmm. time. And uh, she was in a hotel room, and she opened the door, and he was just getting off the elevator. So they had to run to each other uh, in down the corridor, <laughs> and he recreated that scene. With uh, a little assist from Greg Toland. Of course. The great. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, to me, it's any scene with Harold Russell in it. Oh, yeah, of so course. That's my, you know, where do he you He won go? for it, too, I believe, yeah. yeah. he did. He sees Harold Russell in a film on on disabled veterans who doesn't even have a much of a speaking world. He just sees the guy. Yeah. And, and maybe a silent movie training said, there, him, and brings wow. him in and said, from Ditko, once he met him, you're the guy. He never acted before and had trouble. I mean, he wasn't, your dad could be a tad of... I'm sure he was persistent on the set, um, but he got the performance he needed out of him. And 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 I believe that he got not only the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, Mm -hmm. but the Academy didn't expect him to get anything, so they gave him a special Oscar. Yeah, I think he's the only person to ever win two in the same night. That's some of those trivia facts. Yeah. Is that that your favorite film of your father's, or is there another one that. uh, You know, it's funny. My favorite film used to be Wuthering Heights because yeah. that's the character I was named after. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Yes, and I've managed not to come to such a bad end. But anyway. Uh, <laughs> He's naming I you Jezebel, say... but anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could have named that. <laughs> so, no, I, I think that uh, Best Years is absolutely his masterpiece. I mean, I think everyone would agree, right? Yeah. It's so great. It's so great. It's one of those. I tell everyone, everyone, because for some reason they, I don't know, for some, I mean, everyone watches This Wonderful Life on Thanksgiving, Christmas, but for some reason, a lot of people my age haven't seen Best Years, and I'm like, dude, you have to watch this. Well, it connects you to an experience that, you know, Wonderful Life is 
you know, when they made Back to the Future, Spielberg right. showed that movie to the cast saying, this is the movie we're making. Right. So there's this sort of relevance. You know, it, it shows what you want to think the world is like, mm-hmm. whereas Best Year of Your, of Your Life shows the way the world really is. Yeah. So what do you think is going to be the Thanksgiving holiday? You know, it's a tougher truth. Right. So, again, why it's ahead of itself. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming in. Like, I, This is great. This is great. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.